Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Man, I'll tell you what, today is a day I wish I did not have the live YouTube show going because I looked at myself and I look just terrible. (laughs) I mean, I can't. What's wrong with my face today? It's like red in places that it's not supposed to be. Why are my cheeks all flush? Who is that guy? I look sweaty. I look awful. I don't feel that awful. I mean, my nose is a little stuffed up, but, you know, same as usual. I have children. My nose is stuffed. Whatever. I'm not sick. I don't think. Or I didn't think until I looked at myself. I might need to turn the resolution down on that. Atrocious. Oh, well, uh, you know, to those of you that are listening on the recorded side, congrats. You probably made a wise choice today. To those of you watching live, you get to see me rocking my uh, Lakers Ninja Turtles shirt. It's a pretty cool shirt, actually. I, like, my wardrobe is, is silly, but this one is this one's fun. We're going to talk a little NBA playoff basketball. We're going to talk a little old man squad. Not in that order, because I know that uh, more of you come for the old man squad, and some of you like to have a little chatter about playoff basketball. I wish it was more of you, honestly, because it's fun. These games are fun. A lot of them have been fun. Not all, but many. And I want to talk a little bit about what happened all throughout the weekend because it's Monday, so we got we got more days to cover. But first, let's talk old man squad. First, let's say hi. Hello, I'm a very haggard Dan Vespris. This is Fantasy NBA Today, a sports ethos presentation at Dan Vespris on Twitter, sportsethos.com, ethos fantasy BK for basketball, ethos fantasy BB. Told you guys I've been trying to push the baseball down your throats. I hope that some of you have explored our uh, blossoming baseball division. Truly a division coming of age. That's a joke that is is total nonsense. Uh, When my wife and I are falling asleep at night, we sit in bed for whatever it is, five or ten minutes, and kind of try to wind down with the TV on. She's usually triple-checking her alarm because she's a crazy person. Uh, and I'm sitting there with the remote flipping through stuff. And usually I try to find a movie that neither one of us has seen on like HBO or Showtime, whatever channels we get. And without fail, every time she finally looks up from setting her alarm and making sure that the kid's monitor is plugged in and everything is charging properly, whatever 55 things she's got to do before she can finally lay her head down on a pillow. She says, what is this? And every single time I answer, it's a coming-of-age story. I want you guys to know that I'm going to start using that more on the podcast. It means nothing to any of you, but it's going to amuse me. And in the off-season, my main goal, actually, is to amuse me. But uh, I hope I will see you guys on social media. Definitely check out the baseball division, because they really are coming-of-age. I think they had three articles drop yesterday alone. There was a weather article. There was a two-start pitchers article. There was a daily ads article. They got another one of those today. I mean, they're just humming right now. Incredible work. 
by Joe and his team over at Ethos Fantasy BB. This old man squad is where we picked up. I know you're if you're looking at this and you, and if you're watching or listening for the first time and you see that it is listed as part two today. Part one was last Monday, I believe. And I'm trying to do these on Mondays. We'll kind of see how the timing works out, but it, it feels right right now. And there are more names on the old man squad. This is not all of it. But we did 10 last Monday. I put 10 on the board today. We'll see how timing goes. 10 actually took longer than I thought it would last time around, but it, it felt like a nice round number. But let's just dive right on in. First name on the board that everybody can see if you're watching with us, Drew Holiday, who had an ADP of 43 this year, which felt like the prototypical, this is a guy who is not that old, but is going to be treated like he is painfully old, has been relatively durable, not not perfect in that regard, but can pretty much walk into his ADP or better. I did not have him crushing his ADP. I had him as a, a per game at 34, so that would have been like about two-thirds of a round of, of game there. And by totals, I had him at 34 as well because I, I thought he'd miss about, I don't know, 13 to 15 games just because Milwaukee can give their guys days off. Well, lo and behold, he missed exactly 14 games this season. But, first of all, his per game was 38 was the final number. I forgot to actually type those up and put them on the screen so just roll with us here. Final number was 38 on the per-game side. But then the other note, of course, is that everybody missed a bazillion games. So by totals, even though he missed 14, he actually stuck right at 38 also. So he beat his ADP by half a round. That's a big meh. But it's a win. Because basically, when you're we're talking about the early rounds here, Holiday going uh, in the mid fourth if you get a late third early fourth from a guy you draft in the mid fourth that's solid the thing you really want to avoid in these ranges is gigantic misses if you land on the gigantic miss in the first second third even fourth a little bit area it can really hamstring your team but as far as why drew holiday was a little bit lower than expected it was in my opinion just came down to Milwaukee throttling him down even further than I expected. Which, okay, I mean, this is a team that ended up with the best record in the NBA, so I don't think that we can fault them for it. By the way, he was listed as 33 on Yahoo, so kind of depends on what page you're looking at. We basically got the prediction right on him. Um, but his minutes were down by about a half from last year. He played 33 last year, 32 and a half this season. His field goal percent was a tiny bit down, but his free throw percent was a little bit up. Steals down from 1.6 to 1.2. That's probably the main reason that he wasn't a late 20s uh, per game guy. But I think we're splitting hairs. Drew Holiday was an easy grab where he was going because you knew that he was going to get you somewhere near that and probably a little bit better. And that's exactly what he did. So he was a small win on both the head-to-head -head and the Roto side moving along. Next name on the board was one of our biggest targets this year. And it was a risky one, too. And that was Kristaps Porzingis because of his injury stuff. Porzingis' injury history is known throughout the land. And for many uh, fantasy players, he's a guy that you just can't touch because of it. 
But I leaned into him in all formats. Yes, we talked about it during the run-up to the season. Someone like a Kawhi Leonard when you were going in the second or early third round. You didn't really want a guy where the upper limit of games played was 65. But by the late fourth round, even on the head-to-head side, Porzingis was a worthwhile risk because you're talking about a guy whose per-game potential was early second round, the turn even, and so then you're not as worried about the games missed. Because we saw it last year. Porzingis missed, what, like 25, 30 games, and he still hit his ADP because his per game was so damn good? Well, this year, he wanted to prove to everyone he could get to 65 games, which he got to exactly 65, and then Washington shut him down. But 65 games at number 14 on a... Sorry, it was actually... No, it was 14 for both? Oh, I'll be damned. I thought I was looking at the wrong page. It was actually 14 for both Porzingis. Per game 14, totals 14. Obliterated his ADP by three full rounds. In my opinion, one of the biggest hits in fantasy this year. Not the biggest, because you got guys like Brooke Lopez uh, and Lowry Markinen that kind of blow up the curve with how late they were end up ended up getting drafted. By the way, they're later on this old man squad board. Don't worry, I'll be, we'll be having a our champagne on air episode when we talk about those two guys near the end of this thing. Uh, But as far as the early stuff goes, Porzingis is one of the biggest hits. And thank goodness that he was also our main target. He was the guy that I said, take in the fourth round. And we don't do that very often on fantasy NBA today. You know me, I like, I try to go with the flow. If somebody drops, I slide him back in. Porzingis was a guy that we were like, look, if this dude is on the board in the fourth, you take him. Early, mid, late, whatever. He's going to smash that number. He smashed it. That's a plus three or whatever the hell we were doing. I don't know. I just made up an arbitrary grading scale our last time around. Uh, So that was cool. Folks, picture this nightmare scenario. You're hosting friends for the big game. It's neck and neck in the fourth quarter, and suddenly you realize you're out of drinks. Ooh, say all of your friends. You start to sweat. Your friends turn on you. You're forced to go on a last-second drink run and end up missing the game-winning touchdown while in line. Oh, no. Terrifying, isn't it? Luckily, you can avoid the drama with Drizzly, the go-to app for drink delivery. With Drizzly, you can shop a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your watch party. Compare prices across multiple stores in your area, find the best deals on game day drinks, and get back to armchair quarterbacking from, you guessed it, your armchair. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com today. Must be 21 plus, not available in all locations. Next name on the board is Terry Rozier. Uh, To the folks that are watching on YouTube, you can see the ones that were bolded were the ones that were our key targets. And I don't want to shy away from one. Keldon Johnson is later on on today's show. He was a bold target that took a bold dump all over our fantasy teams. Uh, but we're not there yet. Terry Rozier, uh, ADP of 47 and a half, looked like his season was going to be a complete train wreck, but he did semi-turn it around, got his per-game number 
finally inside 100 over like towards the end of the year. And over the final three weeks, he was top 50. But he just couldn't... Sh- three weeks, sorry. Final three months, he was top 50. But they did shut him down at the end of the year, so that hurt. Uh, his free throw number was down this year. Uh, an unexpected and and pretty large dip for Rozier that, that kind of came out of nowhere. Um, that's a miss. Make no mistake, this one's a miss because his games played were not all that great. But at least he did salvage what looked like it was going to be one of the bigger misses in fantasy into more of a medium miss by the end of the year because he was much better. And so on the head-to-head side, you got this really nice run out of him the second half of the regular season. For Roto, no, he didn't get there. He's definitely a big miss on the Roto side. On the head-to-head side, more of a small miss because his shutdown came very late. He was relatively healthy uh, through the main part of the year. may have ticked into your fantasy playoffs depending on how late your season went, but... As we talked about last week, we're not going to go that late anymore. So that type of stuff is not going to impact you. Either way, that one didn't pan out. Hornets were terrible. That reflected on Rozier. He was much better, actually, when LaMelo Ball was in there with him. And LaMelo didn't play very much this season. So that had a pretty substantial role. Next name on the board is one I wish that I had in bold, but at least we had him on the table. And that was Shea Gilgis-Alexander who had an ADP of 49.1, largely because he was injured through training camp. And most folks, myself included, uh, if I was doing a fantasy draft like three weeks before the season started, I probably wouldn't have drafted Shea. But then we got word about, oh, I think it was in the neighborhood of a week before the season started that he was actually expected to play on opening night and that he just wouldn't really get much time at training camp. And so... uh. I'm thinking back to a show we did right before the season started with Josh Lloyd, where I asked Josh, I thought this was a pretty damn good question on my part. I said, do you think there's time for Shea's ADP to go back where it was before the injury news came out that had him missing training camp? Because remember, Shea was going in the 20s, and then they were like, oh, by the way, he's hurt. And it dropped two full rounds because most of us thought, oh boy, here we go. Chet Holmgren's out for the year. Thunder are going to toss another one into the heap. Play for next season. And so his ADP dropped for a very reasonable set of circumstances by two full rounds. And then we got the good news. And Josh said, no, it's not going to come back up. There isn't enough time. There's too many... Too many leagues have already had their draft, so that ADP data is baked in pretty hard. Yahoo wasn't about to do a big readjustment on their stuff and and take a wild swing at where he might end up going. So he stayed in the fourth round. I know this has him as like the first pick of the fifth round, but he was typically going in the fourth and outperformed all of our expectations. I thought that there would be a shutdown risk for the Thunder this year. I thought by on a per-game average that he would just sort of coast a little bit, and he blew it away. But, luckily, we had him on the old man squad board because I figured on the Roto side he would be a pretty easy win at that, that number, and he ended up being a giant win in every format at that number. So, got a little bit lucky on this one, I'll admit, because he uh, played 70 ball games. I mean, he had one of the best fantasy seasons in the NBA, You could also argue he was the best pick on draft night. Again, even though, like, a grain of salt, the 
the ADP was completely out of whack because of the injury stuff, so that made him a pretty easy pick in the late 40s. I don't know a single analyst that thought he was going to be a top three fantasy player this year. So we all kind of accidentally won bigger than we thought we were going to win, which was we thought we'd get a small win, we got a giant one. Cool. Desmond Bain had an ADP of 50, which this would have been like the easiest hit of the year, and then Bain got hurt, and then got hurt again, and then just kept getting hurt over and over again, and that derailed his season. Uh, he was number 36 on a per-game basis, so he was in the process. By the way, he was in the 20s before he got injured the first time. Ended up playing only 59 ball games. From Roto's standpoint, he was actually still a win, I would argue, because you get that third round value from somebody drafted in the middle of the fifth round even if they don't hit the game's played total you could kind of fill in around the edges with Desmond so not a big deal on the roto side it finished at 64 by totals so again didn't even really miss that mark by that much on the head-to-head side uh, but injury was the story with with Bane um, the good news here as we grade this out which is this is a small roto win a small head-to-head loss the good news is Bain's probably going to be a value again next year because he missed 23 ball games. because folks didn't realize that when he was out there, he was pretty freaking good. 21 and a half points, five boards, four and a half assists, a steal, three three-pointers on excellent percentages. Just overall a really nice season that got blown up by like a month and a half absence early in the year with very little news on when he was finally going to resurface for that Grizzlies team, because nobody reports more poorly than Memphis. Oh my God, the injury stuff out of that godforsaken team. Please tell us anything. Oh, Steven Adams, he'll be back. Nope. Anyway, so you'll probably be able to get Bane near this same mark next season, and I'd probably do it again. Mikael Bridges, ADP of 59 this year. <laughs> um, I mean, this pretty, this pretty crazy. <laughs> uh, this was a walk in the park. And I've seen a lot of people on Twitter get kind of huffy about the idea. Oh, well, I mean, how could you predict that um, Phoenix would lose Devin Booker for a chunk of the year and Chris Paul for a chunk of the year and blah, 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 blah. Dude, Bridges was worse when those guys were out. He took more shots, but his efficiency went way down the toilet. Now, yes, a midseason trade was helpful for him because once he moved to Brooklyn, he got to be kind of the man. But even before that, he was hanging around between 20 and 40 for pretty much the entire season. Then he had a run of first-round value, and then he... Had some inefficiency at the end of the year. Look at my board. If you if you don't believe where we, you know, did we get a little bit lucky there? Yeah, but did we get that lucky? No. I am at 49 on a per-game basis, which he beat uh, fairly handily, actually. Um, Bridges was 30 per game because his scoring was better than I expected. And yeah, some of that was because of the Brooklyn side, but he was probably better than 49 even uh, during the Phoenix time. Totals, I had him at 18 because I figured this is the guy who plays games. And he did it again. Not only that, he played 83 games this year. 
because of a midseason trade where he went from one team that had a slightly front-loaded schedule to a team that had a slightly back-loaded schedule. And I know he only played like seven seconds in the last game of the year, but still an insane stat to track. Mikhail was number six by totals this season, uh, smoked my mark, and I thought I had him pretty damn high at 18 by totals. He just he beat that up by another round. He was a target guy, and he ended up being a really nice win. So, uh, cool there. But I got to wear the lumps on the other side of this one. Keldon Johnson was a disaster this year. Tanking Spurs team didn't uh, take me away from it nearly as much as it should have. Keldon finished at 163 per game, largely to, to, due to god-awful percentages. But then also they didn't play him all that much down the stretch because they wanted to get that good draft pick. This was just a bad handicap. Just a bad handicap all the way around. They moved him down to small forward, which uh, ruined the rebounding numbers that I was counting on having this year. Field goal percent went down because he moved away from the bucket and took more three-pointers. We knew the free throw number was not going to be outstanding, but it ended up hurting more than expected. And just all the inefficiency stuff with him. Playing 33 minutes a game, but only .7 steals. There was a hope that that might inch towards one. It was bad. And it ain't getting any better on a Spurs team that... Like, even if they get Wembenyama, they probably still stink next year, and they probably still rest guys down the stretch. Uh, I think we're... I think this is a player that I just completely mispegged, and I don't know that there's a ton to learn from it other than, you know, this is... The stat set for Keldon looked good for about the last two months last year, and that oftentimes is a positive indicator of things to come, but shifting him down a peg in his position on the floor... Uh, and on a team that went from trying to win the previous year to trying to lose the next one, just too much working against him. Need to be much more cognizant of where those types of things can go wrong. But let's get away from that one because it hurts, it stings, and it makes me sad. Um, let's get back to the next name on the board, and that was Jakob Pertl, who was also on a tanking team but managed to get himself traded. And that was part of the calculus here. His ADP was 71. He finished at 68 on a per-game basis, pretty much saved by the post-trade run that Pirtle went on. Um, after the trade deadline, which I guess would be about the last two months, uh, with Toronto, he was more like a top 50 type of play. Um, he was relatively durable, which is impressive given the fact that he played for a team that was um, not trying to win. Uh, so by totals, he managed to beat his ADP by about a round. Um, he was not the the he was not as big of a hit as I expected, but it wasn't off by much. My per game, I had him at 54. He finished about a round back of that. In totals, I had him at 60, and he finished pretty damn close to that. Um, so we had the handicap on Jakob Pertl relatively tight, and we'll chalk them up as a small win on both sides. Jamal Murray at 81. This was, uh, again, a little bit more risk, but you're you're into the part of the season now where you can take a little more risk. We knew that it was going to be a slow ramp up for him. We knew there was going to be at least 14 missed games for Jamal. That's why by totals, I only had him beating his ADP by a half round, making him a much riskier play on the head-to-head -head side. Luckily, he beat his ADP by about a uh, round and a half by totals, so that ended up being a head-to-head -head hit for Jamal Murray. 
um, which is good because, you know, I had him in a couple of spots. Roto was an easier call. He was number 56 on a per-game basis. I had him predicted at number 57, so nailed it. And that's a two-round jump at uh, around pick 80. So nice medium-sized win on the Roto side, small uh, to medium-sized win on the head-to-head side. Not a lot to learn from that one. You know, this was a situation where a guy hurt himself in spring, missed a full year, almost got back the next spring, but then basically had another half season to kind of make sure all the structural stuff was good. You knew they weren't going to push him, but you also had to like the idea that the ramp-up was going to be shorter because it was going to be like, okay, training camp size ramp-up instead of let's get you in the mix mid-season, coming back from this huge injury, you're going to have to shake off all the rust and blah, blah, blah. It only took him about three, four weeks to shake off the rust, uh, so that one ended up working out pretty well. Next name on the board was a real mixed bag. Devin Vassell, ADP of 82, um, and from a per-game standpoint, he was on his way to uh, obliterating that, and then he got hurt, and then there was shutdown stuff, and then they checked his minutes, and they didn't let him play full minutes, and so the per-game dropped all the way down from top 50 to number 78, but he only played in 38 ball games, and so I think you pretty much just have to call this a clunker on both sides. Even if the per-game stuff was going to be a win, it just didn't end up being enough even on the Roto side, 38 games just isn't enough. I don't care if the guy is performing at his ADP or slightly better uh, per game. You got to get more than half a season out of your games cap guy. 15 games, 20 games, whatever, you can make up that gap. 40, like, you just, he's barely on your team at that point. That's the guy you want to get at the way, way end of your draft. You're like, ah, right, well, you know, I'll plug him in for a couple of months. Well, that's not the guy you want to take in the seventh round. So Vassell was a miss. And certainly the lesson from this chunk of players, Keldon Johnson, Jakob Pertl, Devin Vassell, all fell in this group of 10, all on the Spurs to start the year, is if you know a team is going to pull the plug on their season early, and we did know that with San Antonio, you got to be pretty damn careful. Rockets were a disaster. Pistons were largely a disaster. The teams that actually tanked this year were really, really awful to deal with on the fantasy side. The only one that we thought was going to tank that didn't, the Thunder, and they had, what, two, two and a half useful fantasy plays? Three, few, if more for the head-to-head side. So that's old man squad grouping number two for... Uh, this sequence of episodes. I do want to spend a minute here talking about the uh, playoffs. What's been going on? No point in going all the way back to Friday. I know that was the last time we talked about anything that was going on with the playoffs, but, you know, know, we're going to learn from going all the way back to Friday. Uh, The play-in games, that was the second bunch of them. Miami beat Chicago, Minnesota beat Oklahoma City, but then we've already seen those teams play an additional game yesterday. But just quickly on game one's, Philly beat Brooklyn by 20. I I thought Brooklyn would keep it a little bit tighter than that, but as we thought, teams just kind of throwing their fastball a little bit. There were a few games that went over the total um, in those game ones. You know me. I like to look for the unders in the playoffs, but game one typically is a spot where I don't automatically take the under because you do see teams kind of go a little fast and loose 
in that first one. Just feeling each other out. They're just going. They're kind of rumbling. Yeah, some of them tighten up a little bit, but not all of them. So uh, Philly beat Brooklyn by 20. Honest to goodness, I don't even really know, looking at how this ballgame went, what can Brooklyn do to improve their fortunes? Cutting down on the turnovers is a really big deal. But they outshot Philly 56 to 47% and lost by 20. Philadelphia had 19 additional field goal attempts and hit 21 three-pointers. I don't think it's going to be life's not going to be that great for Philly every single ball game and maybe the turnover battle comes to the middle a little bit. Uh but you know, we'll we'll Actually, I do want to talk about that for a moment because Philly is a 10-point favorite for their game tonight. That's the uh, first of two this evening. Total is down from 215 to 212 and a half. So oddsmakers took a look at this last ball game that hit 222 and said, uh-uh, that is a mirage. We expect this thing to be played a little bit more slowly. And I'll tell you why. First of all, Brooklyn shooting 56% is a very large reason why, because they only had 70 field goal attempts. 19 turnovers was obviously a really high number, so call that 89 possessions and then if we do a little bit of our fuzzy math stuff seven and a half would be the uh 15 free throws you kind of cut that in half and just say call it about seven and a half percentages so that's 96 and a half percentages or uh uh excuse me possessions in this ball game over on the philly side they obviously had more uh but not by all that much they had about 105 but that was really the difference in the ball game but you roll those together and in the playoffs, you just call it about a point-ish per possession because it's it is it does tend to be a little bit harder to score. You say, all right, well, in this ball game, you know, one team had ninety-six and change possessions, and the other one had hundred and five. That's around two hundred to a one. So the fact that this game hit two twenty-two tells you how efficient both teams were. Philly hitting all 16 of their free throws is a big deal. The super low turnover number. You kind of want to look at turnovers as an aggregate. 27 together is relatively low, or even if you want to call it average. It's all about pace. And the pace of this game was slow. And some of that is because, you know, Brooklyn was hitting their shots. But a lot of it is because Philly wants to play slow. So if you think Philly controls the tempo in Game 2 the way they did in Game 1, you probably like the under in this thing. And 212.5 looks like an extraordinarily low number, especially when the last one was 10 points over that. Opened at 215, certainly liked the under at 215. I don't like it quite as much at 212 because I, I do think the Nets do take better care of the basketball. But I also think that they don't shoot as well. So some of that stuff kind of counterbalances you probably see somebody win this game something like 110 to 100, and so uh, you know there isn't as much wiggle room there, but I would certainly lean to the under, and I would lean to Brooklyn keeping a little bit closer. It's hard to blow a team out two times in a row. Uh, other stuff from over the weekend. Boston beat Atlanta 112-99. That series, uh, that was just a really bad shooting game, so this is one where there were actually way more percentage uh, possessions but nobody could hit a shot. We'll talk more about that uh, tomorrow before their next... I think they play tomorrow, right? When the he- when the hell do they play? I got to get my schedule right. Yeah, Boston and uh, Atlanta's tomorrow. Um, so we'll, we'll talk about the, the, the teams that are playing each night as we get there. Uh, Knicks beat the Cavs. Josh Hart was brilliant in this one. Julius Randle. 
I a little bit of a surprise return. I thought that he would at least miss the beginning of this series, so that kind of threw off my handicap of it. Donovan Mitchell was excellent. The rest of the Cavs were uh, meh, really. Uh, but more than anything, Cleveland's got to figure out a way to, to get that rebounding battle closer. They lost it by 13, so they just lost the possession battle by too many. This is going to be a dogfight. We knew it. Without Randall, I thought Cavaliers would win this series. I It's a coin flip at this point now. Sacramento beat Golden State 126-123. You guys know I said on this podcast that I like the Kings as a series bet. Um, I didn't know what to expect here in Game 1. I thought a lot of people said the pressure was on the Kings, and I thought that sounded insane because everybody just kept saying, oh, they're the champs. The Warriors are the champs. They'll figure this thing out. And the Warriors were pretty good. I mean, they they mucked up some uh, rebounding stuff. But overall, this is a pretty similar game to what we expected, which was very high scoring. The teams didn't really change who they were. Uh, Darren Fox was brilliant, late, as always. And Steph Curry was fantastic, but it wasn't enough. Clay Thompson was decent. I know he was saying that he expects to hit more shots, but like, 42% with mostly three-pointers. You know? You guys can put the pieces together on that one. Um, it's going to be a hell of a series, man. And and they play again tonight. It's basically a pick em again. Warriors, I think, are a one-point favorite right now. Total is 240. Uh, and this one hit 249. But there wasn't really anything crazy that happened in this game. when you When you sort of, like really pare it down. I'm Malik Monk had a giant one, so somebody's like, oh, well, he's not going to be as good in the next ball game. Yeah, but Sabonis is probably going to be better, and Herter's probably going to be better, and Keegan Murray might be a little bit better, and Harrison Barnes might be a little bit better. So there's all these these angles, like, oh, well, Steph might not shoot 55%. Okay, fine. Well, Jordan Poole might be a little bit better on that side. I didn't think anything was too far out of the realm of possibility um, from just the like general efficiency numbers for either of the two teams. What you, again, want to look at is total number of possessions. Uh, Kings, 98 field goal attempts, 13 turnovers. That's 111 right there. They took 32 free throws. If you want to, again, sort of fuzzy math that in half and call it 16 roughly possessions on the free throw number, that puts you at 127. The Kings scored 126. Warriors, let's do the same fuzzy math. 15 turnovers on 90 shots is 105. 13 and a half is half the free throw. Uh, so that's 118 and change possessions. Warriors were uh, slightly better from the efficiency standpoint because they shot 48% and hit 16 threes. Again, nothing too far out of the ordinary here. What I do think you see as this series goes is it simply can't stay as fast as it is. Right now, there's a little bit of value on the under. But I feel like if we really want to wait to kind of shoot our shot, you might even kind of hope that this one goes over again and odds makers move, keep the line around 240 for game three back in Golden State. And that might be the spot where you tick under. Everybody expects the Warriors to just get game two because they lost game one. I actually don't think it's that cut and dry. I still like the Kings. I think there's a very real chance Sacramento goes up two games to nothing on the Warriors in this series. Golden State simply hasn't been as good on the road as they are at home. Kings have been electric at home. That building is insane right now. Um, 
But I do think that as the teams see each other every game, they're going to have counters that they didn't have in the previous one. So um, ever so slightly into the under. Not much of one, though. I, I think there's a very real chance that the possessions stay high, and you could even see a slightly more efficient scoring game here. Um, so the total, pretty close. I think I'd probably have it more in the mid to high 230s, but I would love it if we had another super fast game uh, where they scored better and it was like 250 final total and this thing comes up to 241 or, two, or 42 for game three and that's probably where we could step in and maybe make an attack. But uh, as far as the games are coming up tonight, um, slightly to the under in the first one, that's Sixers, slightly to the Nets, slightly to the Kings, no real feel on that total for game two. Let's talk a little bit about what happened on Sunday. I know that it's it's sort of not relevant to the games that are happening this evening, but it was still fun, uh, more playoff basketball. Lakers beat the Grizzlies 128-112. Massive games from Rui Hachimura and Austin Reeves, kind of getting stuff where, I don't want to say that they didn't expect it, because Reeves had been really, really good the last 20 games of the year or so, but for him to play as well as he did was pretty amazing in his first true playoff experience and then Rui Hachimura has just been amazing lately for the Lakers he's played his way into a ton of minutes he's rendered Troy Brown Jr. basically obsolete Jared Vanderbilt is in there just to deal with Ja who we don't even know if he's going to be playing in game two but we'll find out uh, Dennis Schroeder picked up some fouls in the first half and then they just sort of didn't need him in the second half because D'Lo was playing well and Reeves was playing well and they found a lineup they liked as far as the Grizzlies go, um, they started out hot in this game, but the second half, Lakers stopped turning the ball over. That was a huge deal. Found a way to deal with Desmond Bain better in the second half. That was a big deal. And then John Morant uh, got hurt, but it's hard to say that Ja was going to be the difference maker in this game. I know he was shooting the ball well, but he had six turnovers as well. I just thought the Lakers executed better in Game 1. We'll see how the Grizzlies bounce back in Game 2, but again, from a straight execution standpoint, the Lakers just were better in this game, especially after halftime. First half, uh, you can make an argument on either direction. JJJ was awesome on the Grizzlies' side. You want to talk about silver linings for Memphis? JJJ was incredible. He exploited his size advantage against Hachimura and his height advantage over LeBron. He bait and just destroyed Jared Vanderbilt. The only uh, defender he had trouble with was Anthony Davis, which, again, shouldn't surprise anybody. AD is a, is a terrific defender if you're not the world's fastest dude, and JJJ is not that. Um, so the Lakers are going to have to figure out what they want to do with him, but, you know, outstanding performance for Jaron Jackson in this ballgame, uh, just not quite enough. Miami lost Tyler Hero to a broken hand. Milwaukee lost Giannis to a busted back. We'll see if Giannis is available for game two. It does not sound like Hero is that close. A broken hand is going to take more than a day to recover. So they're going to have to lean on the shooters out of the reserve contingent. Max Strews started this game, but they're going to need him to do more. You might see Kevin Love play a little more. Caleb Martin is probably the guy that gets the starting nod, although we'll see. Uh, but this is a really big loss for Miami. Jimmy Butler is going to try to do everything himself, as he has done in playoffs past. But if Giannis is healthy, and Milwaukee kind of had their little slap-in-the-face wake-up call game where they let the Heat shoot 60%, uh, this, is, this one's going to tip back pretty quick. Uh, 
But again, we'll we'll see what Giannis's status is before the next ball game. But this is a this is a contest where Jimmy Butler just did playoff Jimmy Butler stuff, and no one could stop him. Clippers over Phoenix, one fifteen, one ten. If you remember on Friday's show, Clippers plus seven was my far and away favorite wager for the weekend. There was just no way that Phoenix was ready for playoff intensity basketball with their new alignment. And that's not to take anything away from uh, Durant or Booker or Paul or Aiton or any of the big-name guys on that Phoenix side. It's just that they weren't ready for this. Playoff Kawhi carved them up. Clippers didn't even shoot the ball all that well. They just they had an extra gear that Phoenix didn't seem to have in this ball game. Uh, Phoenix kept almost chasing them down over and over again. They got right there, but couldn't quite get over the hump. Uh, and I, I know that everybody's thought is that, well, the Clippers need to be happy with getting game one. I, I realize they're not playing until tomorrow, and we'll talk more about that one. I don't think the Clippers are satisfied, and I don't think that there's a magical overnight fix for Phoenix. This was always the fear for the Suns going into the playoffs. It was not the lack of depth. It was the lack of chemistry. They needed Kevin Durant to be healthy after the trade so that they could all figure out how to play defense together. Ultimately, I do think Phoenix wins this series because they just have this massive firepower advantage over the Clippers. And, you know, Eric Gordon's not going to shoot 50% every game. Uh, and, you know, they're not going to get this colossal game out of Mason Plumley. But the Clippers' reserves were vastly superior to the Phoenix reserves, even if it was only for a couple of minutes on that Phoenix. I mean, they barely played their bench in this ballgame, and you can understand why, because they just got roasted. I think you see even more starters minutes for the Suns, who sort of mucked around with a small ball lineup that didn't work. Uh, they probably get back a little bit more to their own identity. Um, you're going to see more Kevin Durant, because he's maybe the best playoff player in the NBA right now. Um, and yeah, do I think Phoenix wins game two? I think there's a, a pretty damn good shot of it, but I don't I feel like everybody looks at it like, all right, well, the Clippers are just going to wear game two and then they'll come back with home court advantage. I, I think the Clippers are going to be fighting game in and game out because they know every game the Suns get to play together in this higher intensity format, Phoenix gets better. They're like, they're in the forge right now that they never got an opportunity to do during the regular season, but they're in it now, and every game they get forged a little bit sharper. So the Clippers know they got to try to get them while they're still, you know, soft metal, because if Phoenix gets this thing figured out, yeesh, terrifying. And then Denver just beat the pants off of Minnesota. I don't know what we need to say in this ballgame. Wolves had no organization on offense. They had no uh, ability to handle Denver on defense. And frankly, I didn't even think the Nuggets played all that well and still just thrashed them in every respect. But I think you'll see better games at a cat next time around. I mean, five for 15. He just, like, nothing was going down. I could say they looked tired, which, yeah, I mean, they probably were. They had to do both play-in games. Um, this was the letdown I thought you might see from the Lakers, but I guess they had so much rest that they were able to kind of get it back together. It's just really hard to go that intense for that long the way Minnesota did to get into the playoffs to lose the first play and to have to win the winner take all game and then go two days later 
it's kind of like when a playoff series goes seven games. And this is something, by the way, we should all be watching for going forward. If any series goes seven games, you pretty much fade that team, uh, the team that advances in game one of their next series. There's a huge energy letdown. Massive. The energy stuff in the playoffs is, is just such a big deal because these guys do run until they're empty the way that they don't in the regular season. They don't go until they're empty. I mean, take a look at, like, LeBron is a perfect example of this. LeBron didn't play defense for the first 36 minutes of every single game all year long, and then all of a sudden decided, okay, and he had three blocks in his first playoff game this year. That's not a coincidence. The The NBA, and it's just more obvious with him because he's older and we know what maximum LeBron is versus part-time LeBron, but it's the way that they all go. Everybody in the NBA goes half tilt in the regular season. Everybody maybe except the Knicks. <laughs> that's, the, that's the Tibbs way. Uh, but then the playoffs come and they just empty the tank. And if there's not time to recover and prepare, you get this out of Minnesota. This is probably, by the way, going to set up the Wolves as an interesting uh, bounce back spot. Because I don't think they're going to be nearly this awful in game two. Uh, from an efficiency standpoint, both of these teams are terrible, but we'll talk about that on Wednesday because they're off for a little bit uh, and the Wolves badly need it. And that's your show today, everybody. Thanks for tuning in uh, to our old man review and our NBA playoff recap. Tomorrow, I think we're talking Pistons because we had a Pistons article drop over at Sports Ethos, and I'm going to try to time our shows uh, on team reviews somewhere near where the written piece comes out. Uh, Derek Ball, who's just um, so freaking good, by the way. Uh, he did our all season long. He did the uh, week ahead piece. And I, I think, did we get Derek on our trade deadline show? We might have missed him. I can't remember if he, I think he was on there, right? Yeah, he was on the trade deadline show. Derek's been incredible. Um so really looking forward to diving into what he had on the Pistons. That article dropped today. So I think we'll probably talk a bit about that article tomorrow. We'll give some shout-outs to Derek, and uh, then I'll do my own little breakdown alongside of it. Plus, we'll talk playoff games tomorrow as well. Thanks for hanging out with us, everybody. I am Dan Vespers. Have a delightful Monday, and hit me up if you want to be part of the madness over here at Sports Ethos. We continue to recruit baseball, basketball, football, hockey, other <laughs> sorry to every other sport i just feel like i wanted to channel the charlie day is your cat small large or in between that's the kind of where i felt with that but yeah seriously if you want to be a part of what we're doing over here hit me up on twitter at dan best or email roster at sportsethos.com. Uh, again check out the wager pass 75 percent off the first month right now with pro promo code absurd because the coupon code is friends absurd in size in magnitude okay we're done for real this time i'm dan your listeners this is sports ethos bye bye